0: We're reading this morning from John's Gospel, as was announced, and we're in chapter 13. And if you have one of the few Bibles, we're on page 1081, John chapter 13, and we read the first 17 verses. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his feet, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me.' Then Lord Simon Peter replied, "'Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well.' Jesus answered, "'A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you, my disciples, are clean, though not every one of you.' For he knew who was to betray him." And that was why he said, not one, everyone was clean. Well, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And we say amen and thanks be to God for his word. I'm with my wife pleased to be here with you this morning. Coming up from largs we were looking forward to coming here and I suppose I'm a dinosaur but if I was much younger I would say I'm excited to be here. It's fantastic to be with you here in Hamilton and it's just amazing to see you all. Because those are the words that have crept or swept into our English language. So a television chef discovers a a recipe that his granny made in some button Ben in the Highlands, and now it's televised, and people eagerly say, oh, that's wonderful, it's amazing, it's fantastic. How did you get on on holiday last week? Oh, we had a fantastic time. Well, I wonder if you agree with me that these are words which are overworked, and they're not the only ones. Because one word is vastly overworked, and that's the word love. We cheerfully say to each other, love you. And someone says, love you back. I was walking on the prom in Largs the other day, and a friend of my wife's that we hadn't seen for a long time, a woman, said, "Uh, nice to see you. Give my love to Margaret. And as I walked away, how do I give her love to Margaret? What does that mean? Now, we may have a slight problem if we recognise it in the use of that word, but the ancient Greeks didn't have a problem. In fact, they had several words for love. They had a word for friendship love, people meeting over a drink or in the park. Then there was family love, children to a parent, parent to a child. Then there was sexual love in marriage. And then there was a word which they seldom used which was the word agape. And that word actually was used later in the Roman uh, Empire, but very seldom at the time of Christ. But as the Christians realized the followers of Jesus, just what the love of Jesus really meant, they grabbed that word. They made it theirs. The highest form of love, total self-giving, Total surrender, total sacrifice, utter commitment. And it's interesting that as John begins this section of his gospel, he says, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus, knowing that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own, and that's the word he uses, in the world, he showed them the full extent of that agape love. Now what's happening here? Well, we're coming to the second section, really, of the Gospel of John. Up until now, Jesus has been involved in proclaiming the kingdom, the good news that the Messiah had come. And that had general application. He appealed to people, come and follow me. But now, as he comes to chapter 13, begins what we call uh, the, the upper room ministry. And in this chapter we have a kind of preface of what's going to happen in 13 up to 17. And there in an upper room, Jesus is going to explain what I called, when I did a series on this a long time ago in my church I pastored in the south of England, I called the normal Christian life. Because Jesus is going to explain what it means to be a disciple, a follower. There could be betrayal. There will certainly be discouragement. There will be opposition. You're in a spiritual battle. Indeed, it's spiritual warfare. And he will explain all that is involved, but he will keep saying, boys, but I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. And that is why at the beginning of this uh, section, John is at pains to say, the love of Jesus is the highest possible love, and it is for you, his followers. So they're in an upper room. Uh, They reckon if you go to Jerusalem today that they found that room, I doubt it. But they'll take you to it anyway. I've got pictures of it where I took tour groups and uh, they'll say this is where the, the Last Supper took place. Because the context of this is that this is either the Passover that the Jews celebrated and Jesus celebrated it with his disciples, we call it the Last Supper, and then he initiated what we call the Communion. And we'll celebrate that in just a few moments' time. Now, scholars are in dispute as to when this chapter, the, the, the events are actually taking place. Was it the night of Passover? Was it earlier before the, the Passover meal? Or was it the night before? And quite honestly, we really don't know. And ultimately, it is of little consequence the point here is that Jesus is going to give them this teaching, and he wants them to be affirmed in His convic- their conviction that he is with them. And so there are several things here I want to draw out this morning. First of all, he wants them to be assured of his love, so I've called this Jesus' love declared. Then secondly, Jesus' love demonstrated, he's going to give them an example uh, of an experience that will help them in the future to understand how committed he really is. And then we're going to see how his love was embraced. And without stealing the thunder, I trust, of the preacher of next Sunday, we're going to see quickly Jesus' love rejected. So let's look at this first one, Jesus' love declared. Now, if you study your Bible, you'll realize that here it's not that Jesus said, Boys, I love you. It's John, the writer, who says it. He showed them his love. He demonstrated his love. And the fact of the matter is that John is simply explaining the whole ethos, what Jesus was actually about. But I'm glad that we've got four Gospels, because if we put them all together, we find that Jesus actually did speak of his love in this set of circumstances. Uh, As he was giving them the instruction, as we will follow it for the Passover, he spoke about his love. You see, how did he do that? Well, let's look at this. Here is something that he said to them as they gathered at this table, and Matthew explains that the meal having actually finished He takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. He takes some wine and he shares it. And this is what he says. This is the covenant in my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now notice the words I put in blue on the screen. My blood of the covenant. And later on, when St. Paul the Apostle writes to the church at Corinthians... He says, I got this directly from the Lord. The Lord said to me, this is what happened. And so I'm recording it. And he says, this cup, these are the words of Jesus, is the new covenant in my blood. Now, in the ancient world, there were various covenants, commitments that people made. There was a verbal commitment. I promised to do this, you promised to do that. okay. Then there was another uh, covenant, you read it in the Bible, where they threw salt over a shoulder. That was a little more binding. Then there was a funny covenant, which we read about in the book of Ruth, where two men exchanged sandals. I wonder how that worked. I hope they fitted. But the most binding covenant of all was a blood covenant, usually between parties who took an animal and poured out its blood. And what they were saying was this, As long as we live, we commit ourselves to the terms of this agreement. When Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, I'm sorry to say that lots of the commentators, well, they comment rightly on the suffering of Jesus, on the death of Jesus. But there's a gem here that we mustn't miss. When he said, in my blood, he said, as long as I live... I commit myself to be with you fellows. I commit myself to work with you. I commit myself to be your friend, your saviour, your master, your lord, your protector, your guide, your leader. It's all wrapped up in these words, in my blood. Since my wife Margaret and I came back to Scotland after 35 years of ministry in the south of England, it seems in the last 10 years we've been involved in helping Churches that are struggling, and that's a privilege. And we're on our fifth at the moment, which is an ex church of Scotland in Kilwinning. And they've appointed me as the, the interim minister lead elder. And following the old Presbyterian system, it's my job to administer the sacrament at communion. And a couple of Sundays ago, as I was doing that and saying, as we will in a moment, saying the words of institution. It suddenly hit me as a thunderbolt. I believe it was the Holy Spirit prompting. And I suddenly thought, what does this mean to me in my blood? And it was as if I didn't have a vision, but the thought struck me. I wonder if an angel comes to the Lord and says, Hey, why do you bother with that fellow Carrick? He's let you down so often. He's disappointed you. He's probably disappointed his family and sometimes the church. Why do you bother? And the reason is these three words in my blood. And friends, if you go away with nothing else from this service, go away with this. No one here can say, Jesus doesn't really love me. I've been forgotten about. The Lord's too busy. He doesn't really care because, etc., etc. Let me say to you, If you stay to take communion, hear these words. In my blood is his commitment of unfailing love for you every day, every week, every month, every year of your life. That, dear friends, is great good news. And that's why John, at the beginning of this section, says he showed them the full extent of that love. Because it's easy to say, I love you, And even the Lord could say it, but what did it really mean? Well, that takes us to the second thing Jesus' love demonstrated. What's going on here? Well, if we link this passage with the synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we discover that Peter and John had been asked by Jesus to book a room in Jerusalem where all these events could take place, and so they did. We don't know if it was that there was an inadequate uh, amount of funds in the kitty, but it would appear that while they hired this room and the facilities were laid out, they didn't have anyone on standby to help. Now, normally there would have been a servant or a slave, and he would or she would offer the facility of water to wash the feet of the guests. They were traveling through dusty streets and it was a basic courtesy. It would appear that that hadn't happened. And I can imagine these fellows coming into the room and they look at the the jar of water and they look at the towel and they think, hmm, that's not my job tonight. And they sat down. And maybe the Lord is aware of them wriggling their toes in discomfort. And certainly Luke tells us that Although this was an important event, their topic of discussion was who will be greatest among us in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus takes, as it were, the bull by the horns and he gets up. And we read these lovely words. He stood up, verse 4, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel round his waist, and after that, pouring water into a basin, he began to wash. His disciples' feet. Can you just imagine the look on their faces? Some embarrassed, some saying, oh, I wish I'd done that. It was customary simply to take water like that and pour it over the feet of the guests or, or the people who were present. And now Jesus takes the role of a servant. What grace, what humility. And we read on that he came to Peter, some commentators think Peter was the first and he spoke for the rest we don't know and it doesn't matter what we do know is that Peter as so often happened spoke out no way sir you ain't doing this for me I should be doing it for you and I'm really sorry I didn't think about it but you're not doing it to me and then Jesus says something interesting he says you don't really realize verse 7 what I'm doing but later you will understand. And if you know John's style of writing, so often he, he gives us word pictures. So there's something on the surface, the foot washing. But there's something much deeper just under the surface. And Jesus begins to explain it. And there we have it. Jesus is showing them his servanthood. But he's also showing them his, and this is an actual word, his Saviorhood. Let me take the second first. Let's switch them around. Can I do that? Did that work? Yes, it did. Saviorhood. What's happening here? Well, to explain it in the simplest possible terms, the the, the New Testament explains the work of Jesus in various ways. You get St. Paul the Apostle who takes the, the forensic, the legal side, and he says Jesus came to put us right with God, to justify us, to forgive our sins, to give to us the gift of eternal life. But sometimes it's spoken of as cleansing, sometimes as healing, sometimes as restoring. And it all plays into this thought of Jesus coming to save us from our sins. Sin pollutes, sin defiles, just as the dust had defiled their feet and there's a lovely verse and there it is in the book of Revelation that's the old King James version that's been written up as a song to unto him who has loved us and washed us from our sins and that's what Jesus is referring to here he's saying look I am washing your feet I want to demonstrate to you the role that you should have as servants. But but listen, there's something deeper here. I've come not only to show you the value of humility within the, the divine family and within the community, but I've come here to show you that you need to be cleansed. And I'm the cleanser. I'm the washer. And when you put your trust in me, then your sins are washed clean. Now that's the great good news of the Christian gospel. And if there's someone here this morning or watching online and you're wondering, what is the heart of the Christian message? It's not about ethics. Ethics are involved. It's not about lifestyle. Lifestyle is involved. It's not green issues. It's not social justice. These things all flow from this basic truth that God sent his son to save us from the consequence of our sins, from the penalty that God, as the just judge of all the earth, rightly will administer one day. And John, in earlier on, and you've had this in this church in your series, John 3, chapter 3, these wonderful words. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, Peter didn't really grasp the depth of that. But some bit was there because when he says, Oh, well, Lord, whatever it is, and Jesus had said, If I don't wash you, you're no part of me. Oh, I want to be part of you, Lord. I want to be involved with you. I want to get what you've got. I want to receive what you're giving. In fact, please, my head and my arm, all of me. That's his response. And this morning, as we come, many of us here, I don't know this congregation, I imagine that many of us have come to know that blessing. Some of us from childhood. Some of us maybe through a crisis in life. Some of us through disappointments. Maybe just a simple invitation to come to the church. And we've come to know Jesus. To know that our sins are forgiven. To know that whatever happens, if we die tonight, we go to heaven. We've got that assurance That's great good news. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He went on to say to his disciples, Listen, if you've had a bath, and that is what he meant, he meant saved from the guilt and the shame and the penalty of sin, you just need your feet washed. They would understand that because they would be walking day by day on dusty roads. What does that mean for us? If you're a Christian here this morning and these good folks from Guildford have been believers, I imagine, for, was it, 50-plus years? Well done. That doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. Because I still sin. I still err. What does that mean? Well, it's the same man, John, later on writing a letter to the churches of the ancient world. He says, listen, You're Christians to whom I'm writing. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves. As if he's putting in a bracket and you certainly don't kid anyone else. But if you do sin, God is faithful. Back to these words, in my blood. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. There it is. And purify us day by day. I hope you do that. I think one of the things that we often miss in many of the the evangelical wings of the church, we forget the importance of confessing our sins. Our Anglican friends, every time they meet, and in my years as a director of Middle East Christian Outreach, I preached in more Anglican churches, I think, than anyone else, and came to appreciate the service always beginning with the confession of sin, reminding us that we need our feet, to be washed. And Peter says, Listen, I'm in for this. I'm up for it. And that takes us to the third thing. Jesus' love embraced. Lord, he says, I want to be part of you. Jesus says, my, uh, uh, Peter says, my, my feet, my hands, everything. I want in on this. But then Jesus goes back. And sits down and he says, now, fellas, having dealt with that, let me me go back to what actually happened here. You see, the fact is, I want you to learn from what I've done. Yes, I'm your saviour and that's the big picture, but don't forget the day-to-day stuff. I washed your feet. Will you wash each other's feet? You all walked in here, not one of you was prepared to do it. But one of the marks, one of the big marks of Christian service is foot washing. Now maybe some of you have been in a service where you actually had a foot washing experience and that's okay, but that's not what this is about. I remember the first church that I pastored in the West Highlands, I was 26. And at the first members meeting... One of the members stood up and said, "Um, now that we've got a pastor, I was their first pastor, will the pastor take his turn in cleaning the church? And I stood up, my full height, and I said, well, I think I was called to a little more than cleaning the church. Ah, said the good man, so the new pastor will not wash the disciples' feet? And the young pastor replied, I think, my dear brother, the saints need more than their feet washed. And I regretted it so badly. So I said to the secretary, put me down on the list. And to my shame, the door, rather like Hamilton Baptist, came out onto the public road. And when I reached that point, I always had my back to the door so that the people of the town wouldn't see me. What a shame. But I learned the value of washing the disciples' feet. So different from when Margaret and I, who met at Bible College, met a fellow, Dr. Mike, I've forgotten his family name, who had come from the Telstar project. Some of you remember Telstar. It was one of the first satellites we had. He was a neat and oxbridge man and spoke with all the right amount of marbles in his mouth. He was a dear man indeed. But uh, he arrived late at Bible Training Institute in Glasgow when it was there in Bothwell Street. The doors were locked, there was a side door, and there were three bells. One was janitor, one was principal, one was student. And in the darkness, he just pressed one. A little man came to the door in his braces and shirt and no tie, and and, uh, he said, can I help you? Yes, he said, my good man, here I am. I've come as part of the student body, and this is my case. Perhaps you could show me where I should be in my room. And the little man took his two cases, went inside, got him into a lift and managed to get him to his room. You can imagine how he felt the next morning when that same little man walked onto the rostrum at the first lecture in his academic gown and said, it's my privilege to welcome you as the principal of the college. Wow. Wow. It's been a privilege to be here today to meet some of your new leaders. Can I say, brothers and sister, your servants? Yes, there's an element of status and responsibility, but you're here as servants. Your full-time staff, they're here as servants. Yes, there is a privilege in being called into full-time Christian ministry. But the mark is to be like Jesus, to serve one another. And that foot washing may not always be very glorious. It may not seem very exciting. And it may not even seem the best use of somebody's time. But it's what the Lord called you to do. And so I do trust that those who are the full-time staff, the elders, the deacons, the department heads, that they will see their role as servants. It will be costly. There'll be nights when it would be easier to sit by the fire or watch telly. But the work of the church will demand something more. May God give you grace. But this is the same for everyone. I should have put up a picture I have here. I love it. It's a children's picture of a body And it just points to head, hands, feet, and so on. And I remember using it in a church service to explain what Paul describes as the body of Christ, the family of Christ, uh, in in 1 Corinthians. And there was a young, aspiring consultant uh, surgeon there. And I said, oh, by the way, I got this from Dr. So-and-so's final papers. And everyone laughed, except the doctor. It was meant as a joke, but it made the point we're all different, but all involved. And in that context, when St. Paul in Corinthians says, don't forget you're all part of it, he says, it's interesting that some of the less visible parts are actually the vital parts. I've worn glasses since I was three. And recently going for cataract tops, they said to me, sorry, can't do it. I said, what do you mean you can't do it? And the doctor said, well, the fact is you have Fuchs endothelial corneal dystrophy. I said, oh, what's that? He said, I'll write it out and you can Google it. <laughs> and so I've had to have some specialist treatment. And that's why I'm wearing these £2.99 specs uh, from uh, SemiChem. There's an advert for you. <laughs> until they decide. You see, I didn't know I have an endothelium. The endothelium is just a bit of skin that covers many parts in our body and the cornea has one and mine has malfunctioned. It's going to lead eventually to corneal blindness, I hope not too soon. I didn't know that and yet it will make the difference as to whether I can see well or not see And friends, it may be that some of us here think, well, this is fine, I'm enjoying this because it doesn't affect me. It does if you're a member of this church. It does if you want to be a member of this church. I'm sure there are parts of the church's life that are suffering because there's a vacancy. And there's an old hymn we used to sing, there's a work for Jesus none but you can do. There's outreach. I was at a prayer meeting in this church in Kilwinning and I was quite staggered on Thursday night, when one of our oldest members in her 80s, in a passionate prayer, said, Lord, give me the courage to witness to my neighbors. And it was said with that same emphasis, she had realized there's a work that she could do needing courage. And I should finish there, but let me, I hope we're not in injury time just yet, let me come to the last bit. That's where we start, that's where we continue, always at the cross of Jesus. But let's come to the last thing. I don't want to steal the thunder of next week's preacher, but I I do feel, and I felt burdened about this. It's interesting that at the beginning, John rightly says, Satan had put it, verse 2, into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And when you come to next week's sermon, I hope you will come and enjoy it. Jesus describes himself as being burdened. He says, One of you is going to betray me. And John, we take it, is asked, Ask him, who is it? And he says, It's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread which I dip in wine. Now, I was taught by my middle class mother in Largs growing up there that you shouldn't dunk your biscuit or your bread. But this was apparently a habit in ancient Israel. It was a sign of affection. And Jesus takes this bit of bread and he gives it to Judas. What's he doing? He's showing him his love. I know you're going to do something. I know what's going to happen, but I want you to know I care. I really care. Friends, we're going to finish in a moment. Do we care about the people living around this church? I'm not saying you don't, I'm asking. Do you care about this whole conurbation area, Motherwell, Hamilton? Do you care about the folks at work who never go to church, who've never opened a Bible, who have no concept of the love of Jesus? It's interesting that Paul picks up this thought in his second letter to the church at Corinth. And he says, you know, it's, we've got this incredible gospel. It's amazing, it's wonderful, but it's, it's not known to so many. Why? Because Satan has blinded their minds just as he blinded Judas. He has blinded their minds. And the thing is, don't forget this, is Paul. These are the folks who are perishing. Can I, I hope not, incur the wrath of the the leadership by just taking a moment more to say this i think that we can't go out here saying isn't it wonderful we've been washed in the blood of the lamb to quote the old hymn we're rejoicing in the fact that we're part of a church we've got good leadership and we'll pray for them that they will be good faithful servants and yes we'll consider playing our part but what about the world out there let me finish with a story Years ago, when we lived in Ringwood, I was the Baptist minister there, there was a conference in Bournemouth, I think it was 1998, called Easter People. Methodists came from all over. And one of the preachers was a missionary from America. And he told the story, having been, I think, in Africa on home assignment. He was going on deputation in the States, getting on and off planes as we get on and off buses here and he was on a plane one morning. It was a 3-3 formation. And as he sat down, he noticed that right next to the window was a little Down syndrome child. And he sat down and suddenly a stewardess came and said, look, I hope we don't mind. This little girl is put on here by her mummy. Granny picks her up at the other end. It's happened before. She'll not be any problem. He said, no, that's fine. That's fine. And the child looked at him. And endearingly, she smiled and said, did you brush your teeth this morning? Yes, he said, I did brush my teeth. Oh, that's good, she said. My mummy says we should always brush our teeth. A few moments passed, she said, Did you have your breakfast this morning? And he said, Well, yes, I did have my breakfast this morning. Oh, that's good, she said. My mummy says everyone should have their breakfast in the morning. A few moments passed, and then she said, Do you love Jesus? And he smilingly looked at her and he said, Yes, I do love Jesus. I've loved Jesus since I was a little boy, just like you're a little girl. Well, the last passenger came and sat next to him. He looked like a harassed businessman, buckled himself in, and the child eyed her new friend. She nudged the missionary, said, ask him if he's brushed his teeth. (laughs) And the the missionary said, that's very personal. Oh, she said, please ask him. And so he thought, well, we'll play the game so he leaned back so that the harassed businessman could see the child. And he said, my little friend here has a question for you. Oh, we don't mind. Did you brush your teeth this morning? And the businessman playing the game said, oh, yes, I brushed my teeth this morning. Oh, that's good, said the child. My mommy says everyone should brush their teeth in the morning. The plane took off. And she said, ask him if he's had his breakfast. And the missionary thought, well, do I, do I? And I said, okay, has another question for you did you have your breakfast this morning? And now he looked at her, yes, yes, I had my breakfast and got into some work he was do- doing. And then it happened. She said, ask him if he loves Jesus. And the missionary froze. And his own testimony was he thought, why will I not do it? Just sit quietly, said the little girl. Why will I not do it? I go to Africa to teach people about Jesus to explain how to communicate, why will I not do it? And there's only the drum of the engines was in his head. He said, excuse me, he said, I realize you're getting into your business, but my little friend, there's another question. I hope you won't mind me asking. She wants to know, do you love Jesus? The businessman took off his glasses. He looked back and he said, that's an interesting question. He said, the simple answer is, I don't love Jesus, but I have friends who do, and I've often wondered, what does it mean? And all the way to their destiny, the missionary, as the child played and looked out of the window, explained what it means to love Jesus. I'm sure there are people in Hamilton and Motherwell and beyond in this next week, who would love someone and come to Come to them and explain what it means to love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Do I love him enough to be like him? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much that John recorded these words, our Lord's humility, his grace, his love. And we thank you that he encouraged his disciples to be like him, in the foot washing, we can follow his servanthood, but as we think of his saviorhood, we realise we can and should explain what it means. Give us the courage, give us the grace, and grant that we may be used in this coming week to be like Jesus in this community for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen.